Hello and welcome to ESG Out Loud. I'm Natalie Kenway, Global Head of ESG Insight for ESG Clarity. Lots of ESGs there, but at least we know what we're going to be talking about. So 8th of March is International Women's Day, so we thought for this edition of the podcast it would be remiss of us to not talk about diversity, inclusion and women in finance in general. If you work in asset management, you will know that this is a cause being championed by City Hive, the network for change in the industry, and its CEO and founder, Bivini Shah, since launch in 2016. So I first met Bev for coffee in that gear, and she talked to me about the old boys network in the city, how much women were missing out on in the investment management sector, simply because they were women, and it really ignited something in me. Um, I'd been a journalist for a while at that point, but as when I started, any press releases that we received about female fund managers or women as investors, these were just dismissed. The attitude in the office and across the industry was it didn't matter. It's not an issue that people care about. And it bugged me. But as a young journalist, I didn't feel as much I could do about it personally. So that first conversation with Bev was really refreshing. And I realised that, yes, there could be some change and I could be a part of it. I'm so glad that I have been on this arrived with championing diversity with Bev over those years. In such a short space of time, the CC Hive team have worked hard and collaborated with many investment firms on the need for change in approach to diversity, talked to them about the benefits of diversity and why if you ignore this, you will simply be left behind. So I'm delighted to be chatting to Bev today. Thank you for joining me. Hi Nat, it's nice to see you. So, um, yeah, as I mentioned before, my only worry with this interview is that you and I will go on for hours about this and it would be hard to keep this uh, a short meeting. But we've had so many lively conversations about this over the years, haven't we? So, first of all, I guess, sort of set the scene for me. What do you think has been, we have seen some slight progress in the asset management industry um, and society as a whole on sort of their attitude to gender. What do you think about that progress, though? I think... It could be a lot quicker. (laughs) Um, There seems to be this idea and perception that there's a silver bullet to this, that everyone wants a one-size-fits-all solution that's quick and that covers every form of diversity um, and is global for their organisations. But they don't realise that this is something that needs investment, it needs to be a business priority, Um, And you really need to put in the scaffolding in your organisation and in society for women, because we do make up 51% of the population. Once you have that scaffolding and framework in place, it will support all forms of diversity to thrive. So I think in the last five years, we've seen a lot of talk, a lot of awareness raising, which is great. But the action and the investment needed doesn't seem to be following following that talk there's a lot of commitments and we see diversity as being you know a thing that we need to do but the the numbers don't seem to be stacking up the the gender pay gap um isn't ticking in the right direction the reporting of the gender pay gap isn't even happening so there's a lot still that needs to be done if we want to um I suppose, authentically meet the words that are being said by senior leadership. Right. And um, yes, my next question was going to be about the sort of gender pay gap reports. They are traditional. Well, they are supposed to be reported in April. Um, we had a chat last year about companies being kind of let off the hook with the sort of it was it was, I guess, at the brunt of the pandemic. But 
what, what are you expecting to see in the reports this year? Do you think we'll see some more shifts? And also, I know that you're doing some work around the gender pension gap. So if you could explain that, that'd be great. Yeah, so the gender pay gap is an interesting one. It's a, it's a very crude number at the end of the day, you know, just looking at the ratio of um, male to female pay on average in aggregate in your organisation. And you just have to walk around the city to figure out what the number will be, right? At the back of the fag pack calculation will tell you we aren't going to come out looking great. I think reporting scares people in the industry because the numbers aren't going to be great. But for us, it feels like the reporting is the first stage of just accepting that you have a problem. If you measure it, moves. And if you have a number, you can then commit to changing that number publicly to all your stakeholders. You can put your hands up and say, yes, you know, I'm taking ownership of this. I'm accountable for this. I'm going to behave transparently and show you where I am. And then we're going to move forward. Um, a lot of it's around the communication of, of what actions you're going to be take, taking. Because if you decide just to bury your head in the sand about it, not telling anyone about it, you'll get caught out because your competitors might be. Um, and when it comes to stakeholders, more and more investment consultants, asset owners are asking questions around diversity. They are keen to know what you're doing. And gender is the only public one at the moment. You know, ethnicity pay gap reporting is coming, but it's very easy to see, you know, just by looking on people's websites um, and public information around, you know, how many women you have senior in senior positions, how many women you have as fund managers. Um, so you can't hide behind not just not reporting I'm just not going to look at it you know um, because you have to we have to own it if we own it then we can move forward so I would like to see companies report whether they have to or not um, because eventually they might be forced to whether it's mandated by regulators or whether it's mandated by your customers there's no expectations that you know the numbers are going to be any better look the pandemic has had a massive impact on women we know this it's not just homeschooling, it's all the responsibilities around home that have landed on women's shoulders, more cooking, more cleaning, more worry, you know, um, and it is, yeah. it is unfortunately majority being, you know this Nat, right, it lands on our shoulders. Um, dads do help out, of course they do, but they still end up being the hero in the same way they were always the hero in the office when, you know, dad leaves early to pick up the kid, it's just the way society has constructed our gender roles which will mean that we will end up losing and we are already seeing the pipeline of talent in the middle that we need to retain and develop stepping away and saying I can't handle this I can't do this I can't do it all you know the have it all debate has become the do it all right for for a lot of women so the industry is really going to have to invest and focus on ensuring we don't take too many steps backwards on this because it will take a lot longer to then move forward. Um, and then we have the gender pension gap that you mentioned, which um, actually it's nice to see this International Women's Day. A lot of people have been focusing on the number and the number in real terms is a differential of 100,000 between a man and a woman retiring on a private pension of um, at the age of 60. Now, what does that say to me? You know, that says to me, we've left a lot of money on the table as an industry. That's a lot of assets under management. Mm. Um, you can kind of talk about the societal reasons why um, there's a gender pension gap. And of course, some of those things are going to be 
childcare and you know taking career breaks and women taking nurturing roles there are going to be those things yeah but then on the other side we've never sold to women we've never created product for women we've never looked at women as a customer base mm. we've basically neglected 51% of the population when we as an industry should be servicing absolutely everybody not just high net worth not just you know males financial advisors whoever we should be servicing everyone and that is that is commercially an imperative yes yeah it touches on that um, what i said before about if if you don't if you don't address this you will be left behind and it's not just because of performance and um and financial factors it's to do with the innovation as well and yeah as you said there's, there's an added revenue stream here and just to start and it's actually um it's more important to our industry than the pay gap because mm. the pay pay gap kind of is a output of things and if we kind of you know put the scaffold in place and start supporting we can bring more women in and it impacts lots of industries but actually as an industry we are meant to be looking after the financial health of everybody mm. that sits at our doorstep you know when there ends up you know i don't know in 10 15 years when the government regulators finally realize that we haven't done our job it will land at our doorstep it won't go anywhere else there won't be another industry they'll point to it'll be ours yeah. so i think that's a much more um important issue currently and i think by addressing it, we will end up creating the role models, creating that pipeline of, of diverse talent that actually are interested in our industry because they know what investment is. It's kind of got one of the levers we need to pull to close the gender pay gap in our industry. Yes, definitely. I completely agree. Um, so what, 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 what would you like to see more of in the industry? I mean, we talked a bit about asset managers approach to women and we've, we've spoken ourselves about advertising that's very rare it's a man in canoe man on a bike up a mountain and um i mean what, what what would you like to see more of and what is really frustrating you right now what what's really been your bugbear recently um i think i want to see more of an acceptance that they don't actually know how to fix it yeah, it might sound a bit strange, but oh, um, I really get that. We've got to this position because we didn't have the tools and the knowledge and the acceptance um, and even the critical thinking to kind of say we've got a problem. Mm. And it would be really nice to, instead of like kind of handing out accolades and, and awards to everyone for doing such a great job, but five years ago, no one even saw this as a problem. I just think that. We need to be really realistic and and I'd love to see senior leadership just say, yeah, I was part of the problem because I caused this. Not for any cynical reason, I just didn't know it was a problem. Um, and this is what I'm going to do. Be really accountable and say, this is what I'm going to invest. This is what I'm going to do. Um, instead of just talking about it, you know, doing an event yeah. or you really need to put your hand up and I think that's what frustrates me um and I do a lot of panels as you know and and you know often have senior leaders just say they're saying the right thing but often it's the things that impact them again it's it's like I did I did unconscious bias training I learned this it's still about them and it's like need to start broadening our thinking you know we talk about cognitive diversity and having all viewpoints it's this acceptance that we've got this giant blind spot um and 
it's slightly chicken and egg because if you don't have a diverse workforce or a diverse board how are you going to spot that blind spot in the first place so some of it is around acceptance um yes. and then it is really kind of actively trying to change things you know and and the really the way to do that is just being transparent about things um then then you kind of have to right your feet your yeah. feet are to blame so to speak and you have to do it yeah I mean it goes back to what you were saying before I mean um, we always hear about uh, the our and our end investors they want transparency and then we have um yeah again not naming any names but companies burying the, the the figures around this or highlighting some figures that make maybe put them in a better light and if they if they did go going back to what you said if they did own it and measure it they would be able to move it so it doesn't make sense to keep saying well this is this is something we're on top of when they're not really they do need to sort of yeah be accountable and you know there's there's amazing journalists like you uh, <laughs> and there are you know champions and activists like me who are not going to keep quiet about this stuff um so there's no point trying to bury it you know you just need to go again you just walk around the city and you can see we can't do that now because we're in covid but in regular times you know you can see how things um are sliced and diced like you know you can go to diversity events and you see who's in the room it's people who are diverse because they care about this because it impacts them. I want to start to see events that include the, the non-diverse, the majority in the city, so they can understand why it's important. I, you know, I completely get that um, it can feel threatening. You know, if, you, if you're constantly being told that um, the woman or the ethnic minority or someone who's diverse is going to get your job, then you will feel nerved about it. But that isn't the case, yeah. you know, that isn't happening. There might be a few, you know, lines out there in the press that say we need to do this or we need to have more diverse um, lists. It doesn't mean you're not going to get the job. If you are the best candidate for the role, you will get the job. What you need to accept, however, is you have had lots of opportunities where you probably weren't the best person for the job, but you were the only one on the list I think that's the acceptance is diverse people just were never on the list before and we really need to look at our definitions of what merit is what's the best mm. you know? um, because that, because actually as a team you don't want everyone who looks the same and thinks the same that isn't the best for your team you want people who think differently um, yeah it's that's always been the it, in the past it's always been the way oh he's i used to work with him on such and such team or and so we, he he knows how i work so we'll get him in to do the job and it's well actually what about if someone brought something in new how what, how would that help and yeah hopefully people are coming around to that way of thinking a bit more well what's interesting is a number of recruiters who all of all of a sudden have become like diversity champions and are the the most diverse you know headhunters or whatever and it's like well you weren't five years ago so I would say that to organizations if you are going to recruitment firms who are claiming certain things do what your clients are doing to you ask them the question ask them their stats and if they don't know them then maybe they don't really know what they're talking about yeah just paying lip service um, okay, yeah, we touched upon sort of the impact of the pandemic um, on the different genders. Um, and I mean, you could, I, we can argue, or we can, we can see that there's been 
an acceleration in the adoption of remote working. So that's a positive, not just for women, for, for everybody. Um, but also we've seen things that have highlighted just how much progress we still need to make. I mean, we've, we've both had a chat about that, that government advert. So maybe you can just talk a bit about that for a minute. Well, again, it goes back to those blind spots. You know, when we saw that government ad a um, couple of months ago, you know, highlighting, I think, what was it? It was images of women doing all the housework and the dad was sat on the sofa with yeah. the dog. Yeah, and, and the, yeah. wife having really, really tired next to her because she's done the homeschooling, all that. I mean, it just highlights that actually that advert would have had to go through so many rounds of approval, right? And no one thought for one second that that was a bit wrong. Yet, soon the moment they put it out there, mm. there was an outrage over it because it's not how we want to see society. It's that role modelling, you know. Mm. It might feel like that advert was very true because actually it was falling on women's shoulders. So it probably was more a reflection on um, how society is looking, but that's not how we want society to look, you know. Especially as, you know, so many women do have to work a full day as well. You know, the reality is we don't live in the 1950s, you know, we do have to in this current climate two salaries need, are needed often to pay a mortgage you know it's not it's not a luxury to stay at home um so we, so we just need to start thinking about those things a little bit more um yeah how how we are role modeling people um Yes, definitely. I completely agree. Um, and we've also talked a bit about inauthentic championing um, and um, getting, uh, well, having a room of white men talking about diversity. Um, and also, we've run something recently on fund managers running billions in ESG funds, um, having all male executive committees and all male fund management um, teams or lead for management teams, I should say. But yet they consider diversity in their SOC selection. It, it, we do need to sort of, I think I'm focusing on the asset management industry, that, that we need to focus that lens back on ourselves, really, don't we? Well, we'll just end up being called out. You know, uh, the great work that the IA did recently around the kind of calling out um, ethnic diversity on boards of 350 funds, um, you know, ended up in a rather embarrassing, very public um, cry of hypocrisy on the industry through broadsheet papers, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we have to be really mindful of, is that all the good that we do as an industry is, um, in, in the eyes of the general public, is it's really tenuous. They don't know, right? Because when we talk about the good that we do, it's we're, we're, we're kind of self-promoting ourselves. They just see, they often just see the, the bad things. You know, all it took was one tweet by Chakaramuna to kind of bring bring a light onto the industry. And actually, you know, it's about holding that mirror up to ourselves and saying, we are going to go out and ask the world to be better. Or we need to be better as well. And we can't hide behind these excuses of um, girls don't do STEM or whatever the, whatever the excuses that we've heard, right? All of those excuses, because, you know, I've been in the industry for nearly 20 years. I was a frontline investor for, for the majority of that. You know, I, I started City Hive after I was made redundant after maternity leave. That's happened to lots of women over time and no one questioned it ever, right? You know, we, we've just kind of, we always assumed, we were like, oh, I always remember looking around the office at, um, at women when they say that they were pregnant and you almost saw a, a target go up on her back. You just knew there was a clock 
you know we all know this is true right no one wants to talk about it because you know but then you have to admit it happens yeah um so i think it's all well and good kind of having a room full of ceos you know talk about this but again it goes back to my earlier point if you want to do it authentically then you better back it up you better back it up by saying i am the champion for this it's not that i've handed it over to a to a, the the hr director is probably already massively overworked and and has this at their feet i'm going to take ownership for the, for this i'm going to aim for this target you know i'm going to do that's what they need to be saying um not just talking about how you know it would be a really nice thing to have and how they support it and that you know and actually um with the work that i do with the diversity project there are some really great senior leaders really great ones who are putting you know their money where their mouth is they're putting themselves out there to really change this but the, the good thing about that for me I feel is actually it then highlights the people who aren't so you kind of then can actually see the authentic from the inauthentic mm. yeah definitely so we're in um, March International Women's Day is on the 8th of March and um, City Hive have always made a point of celebrating International Men's Day too how important is it for us to have male allies in the industry? Um, extremely important. Until we have 50% of the seats at the table, um, you need to have male allies voicing, you know, championing the call. And, um, you know, the majority are male in the industry and the majority of decision makers are male. So you need... You need them to be at the table um, championing the voice of the minority, whichever group they are. Um, one of the things we've seen in the industry actually over the last five years is um, the burden of fixing the problem and coming up with the solutions for diversity have all landed on the shoulder of the minority. It will be, oh, look, we're going to set up an employee resource group, a women's network, a ethnic minority network, whatever it is. Now you go away and fix the problem that we caused. What you need actually is you need the male allies in there learning and using their voice and their voting power and their decision making power to actually go elsewhere and shout about that stuff and then give those groups the budget they need. Mm. You know what the majority should be coming up with the fixes mm. and then consulting the minority group and saying well is this the thing that you need. So it's kind of um, you need those male allies. There's a <laughs> It's always we always joke about this internally. It's like, well, you have to do it authentically, but you you know when there's um so many guys kind of all say, oh, I support women because I have a daughter, <laughs> and I have a problem with that because I kind of think, did it take a daughter for you to have a daughter for you to respect women? Like you mm -hmm. came from came from a woman. Um, if you have a daughter, you have a partner who's a woman who gave you that daughter, you might may have a say, why did it take you having a daughter for you to suddenly respect women? Mm, yeah, <laughs> that's just not enough as well, is it? It's just... No, and, and, and you know, it, it doesn't need to be a, you know, a, a fight between the genders. There's this kind of... Um, or, or, or actually a pitting of different diversity groups against each other either i heard this great phase, phrase called um what was it? it was um um oppression olympics when you kind of set different groups against each other and go well you know who's who's going to get our attention we've done women now we're going to do ethnic minorities now well you know i'm an ethnic minority woman who's 
who's dyslexic and dyspraxic. I'm a mother. I'm, I'm actually also got a blue badge. So I sit in lots of buckets. Which group am I meant to champion? I'm all of those things. Mm. Therefore, you know, it's we need to start just accepting that actually it's human beings are more complex. Um, you know, it does go beyond gender. You might have heard there's a lot more talk around education and so so the education level of the woman who's on the board you know we don't want everyone to be private school educated because they all think the same no your academics are the same you don't think the same I can guarantee you a woman's life journey is very different to a man's regardless of whether she went to private school or not that's that's yes. the academic level that's that's the same um there is going to be a lot more focus, you know, we need to focus on social mobility, which isn't a protected characteristic. Um, the government have actually um, backed a City of London task force to do with social mobility, mm-hmm. um, which is which is really great. You know, we need to look at all of those things together because they're not siloed in, you know, picking one or the other. Yeah. But as an industry, because we love a formula, we can't seem to grasp this idea that we don't fit into an Excel cell. <laughs> you know, how do you how do you put someone together? What is the ultimate optimum person that we want to create, like the bionic man or something or bionic woman? You know, just the person I want to add to my board has to have uh, gone to state school, be a woman, be like, you know, what it, what is the formula that you're looking for? So let's the main thing is, is that we start somewhere. Yeah. Start, you know, you've got to start instead of coming up with the perfect ideal. Um, there's also a lot of talk around cognitive diversity as if it's mm-hmm. a thing that you can again measure and, and the end result. Actually, if you start by just bringing in any groups of diversity, just bring in diversity, the end result will be cognitive diversity. You can't you can't actually aim for it. It's a byproduct of creating a more representative industry that's the that's the end result (laughs) yeah Yeah, I mean the the conversation has definitely just has moved on from just focusing on on gender and I know you mentioned that you're working with the diversity project on their race and ethnicity work stream and we've been started running a um, series on ESG clarity with reboot um, shining a light on um, senior leaders in the industry um, from ethnic backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds. So, um, what would you, you would you like to what would you like to see these projects achieve? Well, we obviously through the pandemic we saw the rise of um, we saw the kind of focus on ethnic minorities grow. So, because of the 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 things that happened in the states and in, in in the summer last year with George Floyd, the rise of Black Lives Matter. Um, we had the incident in New York from with the lady who worked for an asset management company, which was, you know, absolutely dreadful. We've then had um, the Green Park report and, you know, the Parker Review showing that there are so few um, Black and ethnic minorities who sit on boards bearing in on the FTSE, bearing in mind the FTSE, actually revenues come from, um, a global revenue so you know don't have that representation from those multinational companies um so so the high you know there is a more of a light now being shone on ethnic minorities we actually saw a couple of days ago um news international um who are owners of the sun say they are going to stop using the term bame which i'm really pleased to hear because you know at the end of the day we don't 
fit into a bucket of a B and A or an ME. <laughs> um, you know, Asia is a huge continent, very, very diverse. Mm. And, you know, um, you can't just call someone just, just Asian. There are so many, you know, complexes, complexities to it. Like you can't just call someone black. There are complexities to it. People come um, from all different places of origin. Um, they have different socioeconomic backgrounds. So we really need to start looking at things a little bit more intersectionality wise um, at looking at their education. And again, it goes back to what I said about gender. What are you? What bucket do you fit in? You fit into lots of different ones. So um, I'm really pleased to be co-chairing the Race and Ethnicity Workstream for the Diversity Project. Um, Reboot are a part of our, our STEERCO and a part of our awareness works, working group. We are looking at, we've got three other working groups. We were looking at intersectionality. So going across again, dipping into all the other work streams to ensure that the ethnic minority um, experience is heard and we can kind of learn from each other. We've got a, a culture and religion working group, which I think is the probably going to have the toughest job actually of really looking at um, what, what does it mean like distilling this idea of culture when you come into the workplace um and and religion we want to look at how how can we come up with um a framework for different groups which um to look at how how they're impacting the workplace and what i mean by that is for example i can use myself as an example as an in indian woman there are certain traits about me that i think make, are, are different from my other colleagues who are maybe white or from other backgrounds i don't tend to um ask for more i don't tend to be very good at negotiating i've never asked for a bigger bonus or a pay rise and i do put that down to a cultural reason you know as as an as an indian woman that's not part of my kind of nurture how i was brought up and what would be great is if organizations realize that when you do um performance reviews or whatever what are the things they should be looking out from from different people from different cultures that's what we want to give them a framework that actually maybe the way we're working now doesn't fit everyone because of the way they are in terms of how they ask for things um and that that's kind of something that will have a really positive impact on the workplace because we then won't end up losing talent we'll hopefully hold on to it and that talent will find its voice to say actually i do want to go for that promotion um i never would have asked for that stuff and i never did because it wasn't ingrained in me to do it you know um it's not part of my culture so we've got that work stream and then we've got a more practical professional development work stream um, our work stream is extremely inclusive so we have representation from from tab talk about black across justin anukasi's on our steer co um, and we also include all ethnicities, all colour types. Um, we want to ensure that the Jewish community also have a voice because I do feel that um, sometimes they don't get heard because, because of the, the skin colour element, people just forget. David Padil has written this book called Jews Don't Count for that very reason, because often people don't, you know, they don't include them in the ethnicity debate or the culture debate or, but actually it all falls into that because culture is so difficult, a difficult kind of construct to um, kind of distill. 
Yeah, definitely. It's so interesting. I don't um trying to understand all of those different cultures and um how they individuals might react differently in the workplace it sounds like a hell of a lot of work so good luck with with all of that uh, um it is, it is such a positive that it is being addressed as well it's it's a difficult topic right grace um and and often if you aren't if you are someone who's white it's really hard to talk about because of that kind of fine tightrope of someone calling you a racist because you said the wrong thing by mistake that's the rub of it really and and we need to get um used to just talking about things kind of you know mm. we don't talk about them and get comfortable and that was the whole idea around talk about black right because people couldn't say the word they were too scared to say the word black um mm. and, and and you know it's okay to say it it's your intentions which are you know if you're learning about things and that that's what we want to do we want to make sure it we're in, more enriched with that knowledge behind us. And actually with an ethnicity pay gap reporting coming, I would say even compared to gender pay gap for company brands, they are more at risk mm, from yeah. ethnicity pay gap reporting than they are from gender. Yes. Because actually in society, um, you know, um, misogyny is kind of embedded in, in the infrastructure. Mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. we're, we're so, used to it and it cuts across all, all ethnicities mm. but of course racism isn't accepted and of course it shouldn't be the misogyny shouldn't be either but it's um the tricky one yes completely but um i mean city hive are working on the launch of a kite mark um looking at corporate culture and inclusion can you talk a bit about that and also uh, the webcast that we're going to be working with you on i'm very excited about <laughs> So we wanted to create something that would put the feet to the flames, I think is what, what we've been told it does. Mm -hmm. We wanted to create a kite mark with a small K that would demonstrate where an organisation is in their journey to improve and evolve their corporate culture to then enable them to be diverse and, and inclusive. Um, because diversity and inclusion goes beyond just um, how many diver diverse kind of staff members you've got. It also seeps into the S and the G of ESG and all the external things you're doing, like, you know, are you working to close the gender pension gap, for example? It all kind of evolves around that. So our act mark, um, named to be confirmed post the consultation, is really looking to help stakeholders, all, all fund buyers, all those with a vested interest from actually the retail customer upwards all the way up to the asset owner and mm. the most sophisticated investment consultants as a pillar of their due diligence. Um, corporate culture has always been something that's missed off due diligence, actually, you know, because it's really difficult to... Other than um, shiny websites and heavily audited um, accounts, it, it's difficult to get under the under the hood of an organisation. But between my kind of background of being a multi manager and looking at ratings, and Mandy Kirby, who is my chief strategist at City Hive, um, who was in the leadership team at the UN backed PRI, she was um, director of the entire kind of global accountability framework we both know how to put something like this together that would then have impact at the end we are um 
we are consulting with lots of groups across the organization or across the industry including asset owners and investment consultants and and various um, fund selectors to ensure that it's a really robust it's meaningful um, the way it would work is there is a maturity matrix behind it so we want to evolve people's corporate culture in the right way there's um to move them along year on year so as they go through the assessments they will know where they're headed um to really future-proof the industry mm. um and i'm very excited to be doing a load of kind of educational what what do we call them webcasts webinars with 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 you and with morningstar and various other people in the industry to really actually educate on why this really impacts the investment decision making. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, we've seen some notable scandals in the last few weeks and about certain mm -hmm. asset management characters, no names <laughs> mentioned. Um, and you just think that actually proper due diligence had been done on the investment management company. They wouldn't have passed any sort of screen. Yes. Um, yeah, and the sad thing is that what's happened recently is not the only one. We've had quite a few over the past few years, haven't we? So, I mean, yeah, it's um, I'm not and saying it's going on all the time, but yeah, it would be it would be, it would be nice if this was avoided. Yeah, and whenever I hear about these things happening, I get so angry because I just feel like shouting, "That's not my industry," you know. And I think a lot of us feel that way. I think a lot of us are proud to work in the investment management industry. I think we're proud of the work that we do in ensuring the hopes and dreams of ordinary people, you know, and all it takes is like one or two characters to really publicly damage the work, the really good work we do. We want to be able to highlight this and have a standard that we are living up to. Um, the ACTMARC is all about looking at the internal and the external behaviours of firms and it will hopefully stop the, the greenwashing of DNI um, and help companies really meet their sustainable responsibilities around this. Mm. It's just as important as the environmental work that's gone on um, over the decades. We now need to start looking at the S mm. and the G, which is just as important. Yes, definitely. Well, ESG Out Loud listeners can um, tune in to the first webcast sometime in Q2. Thank you very much for joining me, Bev. Thanks, Nat. Find us on SoundCloud or iTunes by searching for ESG Out Loud.